Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And many of you might have walked in here today feeling burdened by sin, trapped by your own guilt. Maybe depression has overtaken you and it's even difficult for you to get up in the morning to face the day. You you bane the thought of having to come before the mirror and look into the mirror and look into your own eyes because of how, how you feel on the inside, that depression, that desolation, that dry place where nothing good grows. But there's a promise for you today that you don't have to leave here like that because the same spirit that breathed into those disciples, the same spirit that breathed into those dry bones, the same spirit that came on the day of Pentecost, the same spirit of which Jesus preached to Nicodemus is available for you today and can fill you today and can make you fertile and alive and resurrected once more. This is the promise of the scripture. Jesus was approached by a woman of Samaria, and he says, give me something to drink. And she says, you being a Jewish man, you're asking for me, a Samaritan woman, to give you something to drink. This doesn't happen often. And Jesus says, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you living water. Not only that, but within you, within your soul, within your spirit, there would be this water that would overflow. The spirit would overflow and spill out into those around you. If you would just ask. There's an invitation Jesus gives in John chapter seven. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water because I am the living water. But it's an invitation that you must respond to if your soul, if your spirit is that desolate, dry, thirsty place where nothing good can grow. God does not waste, the Lord does not waste that season of desolation in our lives. And that season of desolation is often there to whet our appetites, to tell us that we need to be thirsting for something more. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter 63. Psalm chapter 63 verse one says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I'm so thirsty and I recognize this thirst and I understand this thirst and I understand that the only way that this thirst will ever be quenched is when I come to you to have this thirst quenched. The spirit is available for you today if you are that desolate place where nothing good can grow. You can leave here fertile and resurrected when you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, I need you to breathe on me. I need you to pour into me your spirit. He will respond in kind if he sees that kind of faith in your life. The spirit is there for the taking. So verse nine, Ephraim shall become a desolation. It doesn't have to be this way in the day of punishment. You don't have to live that desolate life in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. But I will make known what is sure. 
God says, listen, God's word through Hosea is, I will make known. I'm gonna let the people know the problem. I'm not gonna have them figure this out on their own. They're not gonna try to figure out what to do. I want them to know my heart. I want them to know how to repent. I want them to know how to turn from their sin and turn to me. And so what does God do? God sends prophets to make known what the word would be. In Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah says, for 23 years, I've been preaching a message of repentance and no one will listen. I've persistently, that's the word he used, persistently I've been coming to you preaching to turn from your sin and you ignore me. And more than that, God has persistently sent other servants, other prophets to come and to preach a word to you and you refuse to listen to them as well. God sends prophets to make known his heart, to tell us how to be right with him. The trouble is we refuse to listen. We just ignore what the spirit of God is saying. Not only do we ignore it, but you know, God sends the prophets, but do you realize that Jesus, actually just turn there with me, Matthew chapter 23. Turn there with me, again, keep your finger in Hosea, but Matthew chapter 23. This is an indictment on the religious leaders, an indictment on the religious people of the day. It says, verse 29 of Matthew chapter 23, woe to you scribes, and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Jesus is saying, you claim that you wouldn't be slaying the prophets today if the prophets were before you. But look at this, read on with me. Verse 31, thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Look, skip down to verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you and your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to preach the word, to call the people out of sin, to call the people into a relationship with God, a faithful relationship with God. And the people ignore for so long to the point they get to the point where their heart is so hardened their conscience is so seared that they kill those very people sent to save them. And I wonder if this is happening in our culture today. God sends prophets, and what do the people do? They kill the prophets. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells a parable of the tenants. And he says in this parable, he says, there was a master who owned a field and he built a vineyard and he built walls and he put a wine press in the middle of the vineyard and he planted the vineyard and he planted the vines and he leased it out to some tenants and he went away off to a far country. And when it was time for the harvest, he came back seeking his portion that was owed to him by the tenants. And so what did he do? He sent servants to go and to receive the fruit that was his. And when those servants approached the people who had leased, the tenants there that had leased that vineyard, they killed those that beat some and killed some others. And so the master of the vineyard said, I'm going to send them my son because maybe 
they will respect my son. Maybe, again, this is typology here. Jesus is saying the prophets have been sent to the nation of Israel, but you've killed the prophets. So what does God do in order to get the people's attention? He says, I'm gonna send you my son. At least you'll respect my son. And the son comes, and do you know what the tenants do? They beat him, and they reason within their hearts for killing him, saying that when, once we've killed him, then this vineyard will be all ours. And didn't this very thing come to pass? The scripture says in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The scripture says this in Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There was a time where God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. In these last days, God has sent his son as that word. And do you know what Israel did when the son came? Israel killed the son. Killed the prophets and killed the son. Look at what it says in Acts chapter seven. You stiff-necked, this is Stephen, the very first martyr of the church. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered also. Stephen boldly saying, you always do this. So God sends the prophets and the people kill the prophets. God sends Jesus the son and the people kill the son. So God sends his spirit to bear witness and testify, to be with us and then to dwell in us and to come upon us. And you know what the people do to the spirit? They reject the spirit. And so what does God do? He says, I'm gonna give you a word. I'm gonna give you my word. And that word is alive and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, getting right down the marrow, right into the mix of who we are, that spirit there within us, bearing witness and we reject the word of God. And you know why I'm so alarmed at this, why I'm blowing the trumpet is because Jesus says that be careful because in the last days, the last days will look just like the days of Noah. What was happening in the days of Noah? Jesus says people were eating and drinking and partying and they were having marriage feasts and marriage celebrations and then the flood came and swept them all away and they were not prepared. But what was Noah doing for some say as many as 120 years? He was preaching that there's a storm that is coming. It's gonna rain, it's gonna flood, and you need to be prepared. You need to come into the ark to be saved. You need to come through the door of the ark and into the ark if you want to be saved. And the people laughed for maybe up to as many as 120 years. They laughed at him until when? Until it started to rain. And the waters went higher and higher and higher. And I imagine in those last moments, there were people pounding at the ark, on the door of the ark, let us in. But it was already too late. God had sent a preacher to preach, turn from your sin. You need to be ready because God's wrath is coming. And they ignored him. And once he went into the ark and the door was shut, it was too late. This worries me because Jesus says, just like it was in the days of Noah, so too will it be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. People giving in marriage. And then he says this, 
And he says this, he says, two men will be working in the field. One will be taken to the presence of the Lord, the other left to be judged. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken into the presence of the Lord, the other left. Are you ready? See, here's the thing. That ark is a beautiful picture for us of the rapture of the church. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheepfold. If you wanna come in, you gotta come in through me. And there was only one door on that ark. One door. And the only way into that ark, the only way to be spared the judgment, the only way to be spared the storm, the only way to escape the wrath of God is to come in through the door and into the ark where you can find rest from judgment. Yes, Jesus is the ark. Praise God. He is the door. And he's telling you this is the way you can be saved. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I love this verse. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who what? Those who are in Christ Jesus, who have come in through the door, who have found safety in the ark. There is no condemnation. The wrath of God is being poured out on the world, but when you're in Christ, you're safe as can be. There's no condemnation for you. Have you found your way through the ark? Have you found your way into that ark through the door? See, God is so faithful. In Revelation chapter four, verse one, which I believe many Bible scholars believe, many people who are far more intelligent than I do, believe that Revelation chapter one signifies the rapture of the church. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter four, verse one. After this, after what? After the age of the church, Revelation two and three is all about the church age and different conditions of the church and maybe even different conditions of your hearts. But after this, after he addresses the churches, after the church age, when the church age was finished, look at this. After this, and behold, I looked, a door standing open in heaven and a voice which I had heard speaking to me like a what? Like a trumpet like a shofar, like an alarm, like a horn that is being sounded, like a siren that is going off. There was a shout, there was a siren, there was a trumpet saying, come up here and I will show you what's gonna take place after this. That we're not here when that happens. You know what's after this? The wrath of God is after this in the book of Revelation. There's a trumpet that is sounded. Come up here. I'm gonna show you what's gonna take place, but you know what? You're safe with me in the ark. There was a door that was opened. You heard the trumpet. You came through the door at the rapture. You see? God is so faithful. Jesus said that the end will not come until all of the world has been preached the gospel. Every man, woman, and child will have been given an opportunity to confess Christ as their savior, then the end will come. Because God is just, and it would not be fair for that time to come unless every man, woman, and child has been given the opportunity to profess Christ. This is why it's so important that you take up your mantle, that you take up your trumpet, that you take up your horn today, and that you do whatever you can to make sure that that ark is filled up. Like Noah, that you're preaching righteousness, that you're preaching truth, that you're telling people, turn from your sin, turn to God, because there's a wrath that is coming, and I want you to be safe in the ark with me. 
we have to preach the truth. We have to understand, you know, in, especially in our age of cancel culture and the age that we're living in, that it's the most loving thing that you can do is call sin, sin. If Noah had never preached that wrath was coming and he went into the ark and didn't tell anybody about it, that, that would have not been a just thing to do, would it? How can someone be healed of a disease that they don't know they have? How can the lost come into the ark unless they know they need to find safety in the ark? The only way you can do that is by being faithful to what the truth is. Do not allow this cancel culture environment that is in our world today to keep you from preaching the truth. It is the most loving thing you can do. The world will tell you different, but it's not so. People need the truth so they can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Christ. Here's the trouble though, and this is what I see. This is the problem that I see within the church that we've experienced firsthand recently here ourselves is this, that there are so many Bible preachers that are preaching the truth, but they're not preaching the truth in love. Jesus came and the scripture says, we beheld his glory, the only begotten full of what? Full of grace and truth. There's a lot of truth preachers out there, but there's no grace and there's no truth in what they're saying. See, when Jesus walked the earth, you know, he was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you think Jesus withheld truth? Absolutely not. But you know what? The tax collectors and the sinners, they heard the truth that he was preaching and they had some sort of hope arise within their spirit. They felt like, you know what? If what he's saying is true, then there's hope for me. I don't have to live this way. And they wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. You know who didn't want anything to do with Jesus? It was the religious leaders. It was those people that had Pharisee type hearts that looked out at people and thought less of people that forgot that they too needed to be saved from sin. And you, each of you, each of us within the church, we need to guard our hearts from becoming like those Pharisees who look down upon people and forget that we too were once in that place and except by the grace of God, we'd still be there, right? So how can we, praise God. So how can we bring truth to people, but bring that truth in such a way that they hear grace and they hear love in what we speak? That is the challenge. The only way that we can do that is if we come in the heart and in the spirit of Jesus. Not self-righteous Pharisees. There's no space for that. You know what? You know what Jesus does with the self-righteous pharisaical heart? He comes into the temple and he overturns the tables. He calls them to repentance. He drives them out of the house of God with whips and cords. Why? Because they were so consumed with trying to follow a set of rules and regulations that they forgot that those rules and regulations were there to lead people to salvation, to Christ. The end was not the rules and regulations. The end was Jesus. And sometimes we forget that the end is bringing people to Jesus. The end is not our rules or our traditions or the way we do church. You know, there are people today that are worshiping the Lord in a far different way than we worship the Lord here. There are some churches that sing in hymns and some churches that maybe pray in tongues and there are some churches that have long, long prayer services and there's some churches that maybe don't have very much worship at all and there's some churches that preach a 20-minute message, you know, some 120-minute message. I, I, it, so many different churches, Right? But if the end result in each of those styles, each of those different ministries, each of those different houses is to lead people to Jesus, then what's wrong with that? 
The end result is to bring people to Christ. Not to bring people to understand or to do church just like I do church or sing just like I sing or pray just like I pray or study just like I pray or study like, just like I study. The end result is to bring people to the Savior that I have come to know, that you have come to know. I love this word because God says, I'm gonna make known to them. I'm gonna make known to them because I'm gonna sound an alarm. I'm gonna have prophets that are gonna go and they're gonna blow the trumpet and they're gonna ring the bell and they're gonna turn on the siren and they're gonna shout at the top of their lungs that there's judgment coming, but there's safety in the ark and God is calling you and I to be that alarm today. I'll make it known to them. I'm a just God. I will not punish without giving them an opportunity to turn from sin. But you're the watchman. You're the ram's horn. You're the shofar today. Look at what it says here, read on. And for the sake of time, we're gonna have to breeze through some of this stuff. So this week, you'll go in depth a little bit more in your life group lessons when you guys gather together and discuss these things. You know, sometimes I wish that I had like two hours for a sermon, right? We're gonna get through this text Look at what it says here. The princes of Judah, verse 10. The princes of Judah have become like those who move a landmark. They're moving the boundaries of the properties. They're stealing land, right? This is what the princes of Judah are doing. This is the leaders of the nation. They're robbing people of what is theirs. And God says this, because of them, I'm gonna pour out my wrath like water. Wrath is coming. And we gotta see that this wrath is really God's righteous wrath. He has every right to pour out his wrath because there was a refusal to turn from sin. So again, if you're taking notes, write that down. I want you to read this verse with me, Psalm chapter 75, verse eight. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup, a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out from it, pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down and drink it to the dregs that in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup of God's wrath. And the unbelieving world will be forced to drink of the cup of the wrath of God unless they come to Christ. What did Jesus do in the garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember there? He goes into the garden, his, he leaves his disciples. He goes, he falls on his knees, falls on his face, and he pleads with the father in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's possible, if there's any other way, please let this what? Please let this Cup, cup, please let this cup pass from me. That what cup? The cup of the wrath of God that the world is gonna have to drink down to its dregs. Please, Lord, I do not want to drink this cup of wrath. If there's any other way, Lord, let's do that. The scripture says in Luke, Luke's account says that he was so stressed under such intense stress, praying that this cup would be passed from him, that his, his sweat became like blood, that the capillaries in his forehead, they burst and he sweat drops of blood. Jesus drank that cup. Do you know what that cup looked like? It looked like men spitting in his face and plucking his beard and whipping him with cords thrusting a crown of thorns upon his head, taking him out, hanging him upon a cross, leaving his dead, lifeless body there, bringing it down and taking it into a tomb. That is what God's wrath looked like. And Jesus drank that cup to its dregs so that you wouldn't have to. 
And the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That God has no more wrath to pour out on you because he poured it out on Jesus when you come to him in faith. And you say, I had a cup that I should have had to drink, but Jesus took my cup, so I have no cup to drink. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.